0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fifteen Minutes of Football Transfer News Central podcast. James is here. Hi everyone. And we've just finished. Well, we've not just finished, but it's since the last podcast we said. You know, at the time you probably find you might have found out the American uh, election results at the time that the podcast went out. Well, you had to wait a few more days until that was the case. Um, <laughs> now we have a new president, President Joe Biden, although. Previous slash current president Donald Trump is uh, a bit sceptical about the results, and he's already creating lots of memes. As me as I was saying earlier, Jamesy, stop the count, turn around, I think. And you know, stop the count. Stop the count. Yes. Southampton used when they went top of the league temporarily on Friday, and it was hilarious.
1: Yes, it was. It was brilliant, and I think we may use that that meme on this show.
0: Maybe. Yeah, <laughs>
1: stop the yes. count. Brilliant I love for me. Oh, well, with, with football, yeah, I'm absolutely
0: sure of that, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean if nothing else, Mr Don, Mr. Donald Trump has provided a lot of memes for stand-up comedians and wannabe stand-up comedians to latch upon and use for years to come, even if he doesn't quite realise it himself uh, I'm pretty sure he does though, he must know, you know, he tweets enough to, to instigate those memes but hopefully, and I will say this hopefully, in the short term as unlikely as it may be, that in America we find some way to Bridge the, whole, the horrible division that looks like it's going to be in place over the next few months. Hopefully, there's a way to diffuse that situation, and they can move on peacefully to a new chapter in their in their politics. But back to the football. Four topics, quite hard to choose this week. Uh, again, I'll start by listing them chronologically because sometimes I forget and ruins all the structure that we have in place. First one is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. As I as I tweeted, Ole is he an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? But Apparently not, because he won, like I said, uh, on my predictions, do read it, Mystic Meg. So he has. He, he looks like he's staying after conv- a good win against Everton. We'll talk about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and compare him uh, to the fortunes with Mikel Arteta, who suffered a 3-0 defeat uh, on the uh, eve of the international break. So contrasting fortunes there. And depending on how, how much we talk about Solskjaer, Arteta might be shifted to the next section. And the next section will also be morphed in with how Manchester City and Liverpool might fare this season, given that the big clash resulted in a 1-1 draw. Again, predicted that, as my prediction showed. Please don't look at any of the other predictions, because they were all incorrect. However, the two games that, are, that I'm mentioning now were spot on. Um, and, that, and it'll be interesting to look at how they've evolved, maybe in this new season, not quite the rampaging forces that we've seen in the past, but still very much probably the two main title contenders still. Then we'll move on to our position analysis. Last week we looked at goalkeepers, top five of the Premier League. This week we'll look at right backs, uh, top five of the Premier League. Looking at the uh, with looking at the wider world to to draw discussion from. And lastly, we'll look at the European uh, results, all the results across Europe, uh, he- headlined by a brilliant uh, clasica in the Bundesliga. But first of all, we'll go to uh, topic number one. Should be a whistle that comes with that. With the graphics team, big shout out to Sam. We haven't done one for a few weeks. Yeah, yeah gonna Solshaw. Shaw. not an Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, he's only going to stay. Um, because, you know, it was, you know, I, I said actually, I know I'm blowing my own trumpet here, but I did say that they would win, and I did say they'd win 3-1 against Everton. But the method, the, the, my, my sort of thinking with, with Solshaw and things is, and I'm going to try and summarise this in brief, uh, and then we can expand upon it. So overall, I think the players like Solskjaer because I think, They've always stepped up to the plate when his job's been on the line and when people think he's going to get sacked, they always put in a performance that, that pushes those, the, those threats to his job away. Perhaps I feel that they might remember the days of Jose Mourinho, uh, a manager at the time who publicly um, publicly criticised his players and he played a more generally more negative brand of football that was more structure-based and he created divisions within, within the squad. Only going got rid of all those shackles, much more relaxed style of management and there was nothing but praise for his players. The issue, I suppose, is, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, is that management style a little bit too relaxed? Is he a little bit too friendly with some of the players? And is that why the results go from very, very good to quite average? And there's been a bit of a fluctuation this season. So that's my overall summary there, James. But we'll start just by starting at the start of that summary. Do you think the players like Solskjaer, and do you think that the fact that they keep responding in these moments of adversity is enough proof to prove that they are playing for their manager.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, like you say, every time he's under pressure, every time they have a bad result or a bad run of form, I mean, it, to be honest, every time he has a bad run, they have a bad run of form. It's like his job is under threat. Even when he was first, since he was first appointed, that's happened. He's a bad run of form. And then there's been like, Oh, Pochettino, Pochettino links, you know, and, uh, and then immediately they turned it around and put John on a good run of form again. And because I heard they spoke to Pochettino in January, last, uh, like earlier this year when they were having a bad run, then they put together a great run to the end of the season. Kind of stuttered and not done. They've been inconsistent at the start of this season. They'd had they'd had that awful defeat the other, the other week in the Champions League. And yeah, I think... There was there was good sources coming out of Manchester saying that Man United had spoken to Pochettino, and with the international break, you know, if he'd lost against Everton, it would have been a convenient time to bring in Pochettino. And I still think it's a matter of time that they replace Solskjaer. Personally, uh, I think it's just his. It's just kind of him. Kind of he keeps he keeps winning games and is giving giving them no reason to sack him. Kind of thing. It's like so, whack-a-mole,
0: isn't it? You hit you, you seem to hit him on the head and he pops back up. And he just yeah, keeps exactly. back
1: up. It, it wasn't a surprise that they won at the weekend at all. Uh, that his, he was under pressure. And, they, and they've consistently played for him. They have. They've showed up for him. He's mm. never lost the dressing room, I don't think. Mm. Uh, mm. I don't think they would, ever, they would ever turn on him in terms of him as a character, him as a mm. manager. But they could lose confidence in him as a tactician, or as, a, yeah. as a coach.
0: Well, that's good. We can uh, come like, on to we can come on to that, uh, James. Actually, that's if
1: when, that's when it will start to go wrong, really wrong. Yeah. Um, I the only thing he'll ever kind of it will ever be it won't be kind of falling out with a manager. That won't that won't happen with Oscar. Well, no. Um, it, will, it will be the it will be like, or oh, maybe he's not quite a good enough coach for Man Yeah. He can't forward or whatever.
0: We can and expand post, on that actually. You know
1: that, even subconsciously, mm. like then this, then then things change and yeah, so. I still think that he'll be gone by next by the start of next season, probably before. Mm. but he's to he'll make them he'll, he'll push him all the way. <laughs> he, might, he won't yeah, make. it easy absolutely. It. Well, no, I
0: mean, I mean, just to sort of go back to wh- where they've bounced back in moments of adversity, so we mentioned this in other podcasts, so I'll only briefly run through it, but one winner away from home at the start of last season by December, uh, that was away to Norwich, and they just lost to Astana away in the Europa League. One league win away from them, I should add. They just lost to a starter away in the Europa League. Pressure was on. They had Spurs and Man City next up. They won both of those games. People expected them to lose both or not win both, and they expected Solskjaer to go. So that was one adverse moment. Then they lost to my team Burnley at home 2-0 at Old Trafford in January. Pressure mounted again. They went unbeaten then for the remainder of the 1920 league campaign, and they finished third. And the Burnley defeat, as I say, was in uh, the middle of January. So that's some feat. Um, and then they lost 6-1 to Spurs in the third game of the prem- this Premier League season. Again, morale was at another all-time low. Came back after the international break, beat Newcastle 4-1, beat PSG 2-1. And then the week later, beat Leipzig by 5-0. So again, that's the evidence. But you touched on it there, James. A relaxed style of management has means that the players probably won't want to turn on him. They know what Jose Mourinho was like. Very, very different character. Worked them much harder. Uh, was a lot more harsh and brutal with them than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is. And there probably is that in the back of their mind that, you know what, hey, the grass isn't always green if remember what the other guy was like, kind of thing with a lot of the players. But at the same time, they perhaps need someone to really engage them into games where Solskjaer's job's not on the line. You know, maybe against Istanbul, Basakşehir here and United, okay, they've lost 1 0 to Arsenal. That can happen. It was quite a, it was a fairly, you know, it was only by one goal to nil. Again, the pressure isn't quite there yet. Istanbul, Basakşehir, here, you expect to turn up, you expect to win. They don't, it's a terrible performance. Then suddenly the heat's back on. Is there a danger that Solskjaer doesn't have the ability to maintain those, consi- those levels consistently? And I'm going to counter my own point there because. If he's gone unbeaten since January in the league, in the in the previous season, then surely that shows that he can maintain a consistent level of performance.
1: Yeah, 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 that's true. I mean that that run since January was kind of coincided with the signing of Bruno Fernandez as well, and he mm-hmm. was a big factor mm-hmm. last season in them finishing third. Yeah, and they did go pretty much they go unbeaten in the league. Yeah, and that, mm-hmm. that was a great achievement. Honestly, I thought that. I thought that after that, they would, they'd really back him in the summer and they'd give him everything he wanted in the summer. In terms of signings, you know, Sancho, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah. and then the this season, they'd be more competitive. But they didn't back him with all the players that he wanted in the summer. Well,
0: well it's interesting, James. With Sir Alex Ferguson, I think they used to say, uh, some of, many of his experts players Gary Neville and Rio Ferdinand have said, uh, when they've been asked, how did you maintain that level of performance the next season? They said, oh, well, Sir Alex Ferguson would usually asked for a marquee signing. He used to get one in the summer to keep the levels high and to keep people on the toes and to give the squad a boost that, that only, I suppose, a new incoming marquee signing could do. Now, Sir Alex Ferguson was a wonderful man-manager who continually evolved his squad and he was brilliant for many years, but he, even he needed... Those marquee players to keep the performance levels high because even he couldn't, poss- you know, keep motivating the same group of players to keep performing to the same levels that they have done year on year. So Shah, having proven as we say with that unbeaten run, uh, had can deliver consistent results. At that point, then, as as we both sort of alluded to, surely it was up to the board to say, okay, maybe now you can... You could sign a Jade Sancho or someone of that ilk, and then maybe you see the levels of performance that we expected to see because the whole squad gets a lift, and they're all buoyed by the new signing. They're all on the toes because they know that this is a
1: competitive squad that wants to that wants to push on from last season. That's right, yeah, and it, but it seems to be a pattern, and I've been looking at this that. They have this pattern of where they back, they back the manager big when they when they don't qualify for the Champions League, and it's the first summer of a, man, a new manager. They mm. back him really big, then they get to get into the Champions League, and then they don't back them the next summer mm. as mm. much as they want as much as the managers want. Mm. They don't give them exactly what they want. This happened under this happened under Van Gaal. It happened under Mourinho. It's happened under Solskjaer. And what happens then is that they don't qualify for the Champions League, and then the manager gets sacked. It's like this repeating pattern and a lot of Man United fans that I've, that I've been listening to have observed this pattern and it keeps repeating itself because the mm-hmm. ball is more interested in money. They think than uh, like, you know, on, on pitch success, they want to qualify for of the Champions League because they want the money from the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it doesn't, it's not conducive to long-term success and they don't have a director of football. So they have no kind of long-term football strategy. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think... Like, if we, we looked at the last summer signings when Doscar first went there, all mm. of them were, were of a similar profile. They were young, talented players who had the potential to improve uh, and, and be, be performers at Man United for a long time. And Degala. Gala. This, summer, this summer's not been the same at all. They bought Cavani, who I'm certain was not a, long, was not a principal target. Alex Teller seemed to be there. They went for him because he was available and cheap. And yeah, and Davander then Like, I don't know if Saltshar even wanted him because he's mm. he's barely played him. Mm. So, it, there's not a very good good joined up football strategy at the club. Do you and,
0: not find it a bit baffling though when people and I've seen it a lot say that oh, Solskjaer's not good enough for this club. They need a they need an experienced high level manager to come in. Well, Louis Van Gaal and Jose Mourinho were experienced high level managers that came in. <laughs> Um, you know, it, it also, and, and, as a, and as a sort of added question to that, uh, do you think Solskjaer maybe knows or is willing to play the game more than these high-profile managers were would have done? Because Louis van Gogh had his issues, didn't he, with recruitment. Jose Mourinho had even more public issues with the recruitment and they weren't afraid to voice annoyance with, with transfers that, that haven't necessarily gone how, transfer recruitment that hasn't gone how they wanted it to go. Whereas Ole Gunnar Solskjaer seems to be of the mindset, I know my place. I know I'm fortunate to be here. Uh, given my managerial CV probably didn't warrant me to suddenly jump to this type of job. Uh, so as a result, I'm not going to win jaw Wine if I don't quite get what I want, even if I don't get anything close to what I want. I'm still going to try and make the best out of it.
1: Yeah, that's right, because I think he feels a loyalty to the club. I feel like it's a job to defend the club and he doesn't mm. want to rock the back mm. um, because, because of, I think because of his respect for the club mm. and his love for the club, um, you know, I think if it was, <laughs> if it was, a, if it was another Man United legend there in charge or at least two specifically from, from that team, uh, you know, namely Roy Keane and... Yeah, I was thinking, yeah. I don't think they would be as as, as 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 amenable yeah so he's not saying anything and you know he probably won't ever say anything about but, it but James it was good. Just, just
0: to so, sort of go back to the professional to the high level manager thing is it not better to have someone who just sort of accepts the way it is and maybe he won't quite have the maybe he doesn't quite have the excitement as as these high level managers but at least you know maybe next year or in two years you're not going to have someone who's angrily shouting at the board and then the club goes into disarray again. At least under Solskjaer, you can't see it completely capitulated to a point where there's toxicity within the dressing room and there's toxicity within the boardroom.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I think, I mean, with Manchester United, their they, supporters expect them to be challenging for the Premier League and the Champions League every year. Right? That's but they the been, they've not been challenging that's for that's the, the Premier League. Football, right? that, that's, the, that's the size of the club. So... Mm-hmm. If they kind of like settle for Solskjaer delivering third or fourth place every season, that's, that's probably not what they would want. You know, There's a lot of Man United fans who want Solskjaer out. They, they still respect him mm-hmm. but, but as a club legend, but they don't, they don't want him as manager.
0: To be and fair, if, if Solskjaer got fourth this year, that would be a better achievement than getting fourth last year. That would be an incredible achievement, I
1: think. It would, yeah, it would. Because uh, I, I don't think they will at the moment. Not because necessarily they're they're so bad, but because there's other teams that are better that I can see finishing above them. There's at least four teams, potentially more that I can see finishing above them. Mm.
0: So, so what, so what are your views then on on, on Ole Gunnar de Do you think he's do you think he's an oppressed figure within the club, or do you think maybe? Well, I think we both think there's inevitability that Maurizio yeah. Pochettino probably will come in, but is that a fair inevitability?
1: I think it's inevitable that somebody will come in. It depends on when, as to mm. who. If they wait till the summer, and I think this is, might be right, this might be one of the reasons that they're pushing for it now. If they wait till the summer, well, then in the summer there could be other jobs available for Coutinho. Man City could be available, and he's going to choose Man City over Manchester United without any doubt, like anyone mm. would. And um, the resources that Man City have and the squad that they have right now, and we're certain to be in the Champions League as well. You know, I, I, you go to Manchester City over Manchester United, they're a much better run club, generally, although they've been struggling recently.
0: But So you think, in um, short, just to summarise, yeah, sad for Shah but dump him, get Poch before he disappears?
1: I think that's what the, board are, what the Man United board are thinking, because they, they like Pochettino. Ferguson Brutal. likes Pochettino. Ferguson wanted Pochettino back when they appointed Mourinho. Well, there you he, go. Yeah, you know, dinner with him and everything, you know. Um And, you know, I think, yeah, I think that's who he sees as the guy to to be the kind of next long-term manager at Manchester United. Well, it's a, it's so, an
0: Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, then. It's an Ole Gunnar There
1: yeah, we go. If he loses him before the end of the season, Pochettino would probably take it.
0: Okay. I hope you can build your dynasty, Ali. I am still in support. Anyway, maybe out of... Sadness, uh, uh, the abusers of uh, uh, Mr Solskjaer. Maybe I, I'm just there fighting his corner with yeah, my Yeah, I, I feel for him
1: too. He doesn't, get, he doesn't get credit for the good things he does and he gets unfair, unfair attacks from some people.
0: On to topic two, uh, slightly over the limit, but it doesn't matter. Over to, on to topic two, uh, uh, Mikel Arteta, another young manager, or, well, yeah, another young manager tried to earn his trade in the managerial game. I act like Solskjaer's not been a manager for 10 years, but it feels like he's just jumped in in a strange kind of way. But Arteta has literally just jumped into his first managerial job at Arsenal after his Pep Guardiola apprenticeship. And it's been a bit up and down, really, actually. I mean, on the one hand, they've won an FA Cup and a Community Shield, and they've won a lot of games against the bigger teams, including recently Old Trafford against Man United, where I thought they were excellent. However... They have just lost 3-0 to Aston Villa, and the results this season have, have fluctuated a little bit. But I guess we'll spend this segment talking about Arteta, drawing them onto the who we expect to be the two title challengers this season in City and, and Liverpool. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're, so we've, we've sang uh, Arteta's praises on this podcast before. What are your yep. thoughts on Arsenal now? Because, you know, the, the, the form isn't great.
1: Yeah, there's limitations in his squad mm. I mean, he's not got a, an elite squad that you would say would be title challengers or even necessarily top four you know necessarily because they've got some very good players they've got the kind of core of something but it's not it's not kind of capable of challenging right at the top consistently and of course they've got Europa League and they're, they're playing on Thursdays and that doesn't help when you have a kind of shallow squad I mean their first eleven is really good, but you know the shadow kind of second the second string mm. isn't quite as quite as good. So when, they, when you've got to play Europa League in, on a Thursday and then you've got to play the Premier League at the weekend, it's not easy when you've got a mm. weaker squad. No, uh, and especially as the Europa League is important because they want to get because it's a way to get into the Champions League and it's a trophy. So mm. they've got to take the Europa League seriously, and but yet they've got to take the Premier League seriously. So it's difficult. Yeah. Uh, I I I write, I write I think he's, I, do. he's a, I, do. I don't think um how they're doing is a reflection on him. No. He hasn't had the resources that other managers have had in mm. the Premier League, you know, Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea this summer, you know, Man United, they've all they've all spent more money than he has. So if he had their resources, I'm sure then you can hold into much higher expectations because mm. he would probably have a stronger squad. So that that said he did recruit well this summer. You know, I mean Gabriel uh was especially was a was a really good time And Arte, obviously. the mm. uh, two kind they were the two highlight highlight ones for me. Mm. Um Yeah, so he's building something. It's not I don't think it's a I think they just haven't they just haven't this next season they'll be they'll be stronger than this season.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think I, I look at it and I think some some fan bases can be a bit can be very impatient, I think, is the, is, is the word I'm looking for. And I'm sure as a Chelsea fan, James, you can relate to that. And I'm sure other fans, <laughs> other, fan, other fans as well can, because I think with Arsenal, and I've said this before on this podcast, out of him, Frank Lampard and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, if you said which team looks like they're building a style of play on the training ground and creating little patterns that could be visualised in the game so you'd know that they're working on something, you would say it was Arsenal because I've seen many times how when they've been on, in good form, they're confident in passing the ball around, out from the back, and it looks like they've worked on it on, in, in in training and little parts and little sparks in, within the game think, wow, if they can get this to be repeated across the 90 minutes over the full pitch, then they're going to be really, really good. I'd say it's almost like the alpha stages of a Manchester City under Pep Guardiola because obviously he's worked obviously he's worked at Manchester City. He's 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 had the he's got the Pep Guardiola playbook. He knows how literally first hand has seen how to build a team that plays this total football that is unstoppable. You know, he was he was shadowing Guardiola when Manchester City got 100 points and 98 points. He saw the rise. And I think You can see the little blueprints there of how Manchester City play. And you've touched on it already. This Arsenal team's squad is way off it. And even though they've had a good uh, recruitment window, it still needs a lot more. With Ozil not in the team, perhaps for reasons outside of football, as some have suggested, but with Ozil not in the team or the squad featuring at all, they have no playmaker. So they have no creative playmaker to create those chances, the fullbacks they are in, and and it's Saka when it's a three-four-three three, or Tierney. Uh, Tierney's very, very good actually. I like Tierney, but it's mainly Saka who, who it's mainly Saka who, who who's sort of tasked with left wing back when they're defending and being a creative midfielder. It's not. It's not with all due respect, Alexander Alder Robertson. Although I do like Tierney <laughs> again. You, you'll know that if I've, uh, if you listen to other podcasts, but. The 3-4-3, going into a 3-4-3 shape to defend and playing out and then morphing into a 4-3-3 when attacking, it's worked really well because it's proved to be unpredictable for some opponents. A part of kind of a phase that Arteta's had, I think. But he's only doing that because he's making the most out of what he has, which is very minimal creativity. And also, James, you've talked up Gabriel as a very good defender, which he is, but he doesn't have... A sustainably good partner. Saliba came in from St Etienne, but still very young. And I think Arteta wants him out great. on loan. Aside from him, you've got David Luiz, great with the ball, but can't defend. And or you've got Rob Holding, not bad at defending, not great with the ball. So you've He's got, got yeah. you've got problems. No creation, centre back issue. He wants, to Arteta, uh, he wants to play Arteta. He wants to play Arteta. He wants to play Abamyang as a left wing, which means that Lacazette's often in strike. Lacazette for me isn't as good as maybe he was when he came I think they need to sort that bit out there's a lot of things they need to sort out there really is and all we can both say I suppose is I think we've both seen evidence with Arsenal that there is some good things to think about and he needs time and he needs investment really to get to get to where he wants to be
1: yeah exactly yeah that's right it- it reminds me of Chelsea last season when they mm. had the transfer ban and they were basically stuck with what they had mm. and mm. had to make the most of it. And, of course, mm. they were never going to get that consistency with that, um, no matter how, no matter who the manager is. Mm. And so, yeah, they're still at the very early building stages of, of their team. And they have to just back Arteta. And it looks like they do. Mm. It looks like they're willing to give him time and to back him. And I'm sure that if they do, he'll create a very good Arsenal team.
0: Mm. It's going to be quite a bit, isn't he, off, off maybe Manchester City and Liverpool, as we sort of little segue into comparing the two teams. We talked about how the blueprints there from what we saw at Man City when they were very good. But Pep Guardiola not only, I think, had a better Man City team that he started with, uh, even in his first season, I think Arteta came into Arsenal. But then after that, where he only finished fourth, he then spent a fortune and got lots of players in and they took the league by storm. So I think Arsenal are already about two or three steps behind where City were when Guardiola took over. So Arteta's kind of working from, from, as, from behind where Guardiola was working at the start. But when we go to City now and we talk about different evolutions of teams, everyone says, oh, they're not as good going forward now. They're a lot slower. probably." Contributed probably because of the state of the, of the way the season scheduled. I look at them and think, my God, they've got a good defense now, haven't they? You know, something that they said they had in Achilles' heel. I would say that's the best defensive partnership, centre back partnership, Diaz and Laporte in the league. I think because I really do think Diaz is a good player. You can see he's fa- he's quite quick. He's strong. He's technically very good, and he has good defensive instincts. And Laporte, we know, is very very good. Walker yeah, is good. Walker's great. And Cancelo is kind of, he's a great right-back as well, Cancelo, but he's doing a good job at left-back. That's arguably the weak point because he's a right-back playing left-back. But with Edison as well and Rodri just in front, I think they've got really good defensive foundations. And although it might have, uh, con- their attack's not quite in sync, that's something to be happy about if you're a City fan, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that was a positive, definitely. That's, that's, something, that's something that's been a weak spot for them for a long time. And of course, they've got they've got Haki as well. As well, yeah. he's he's, a, he's there. If either of those two aren't available, and he's a good player, so yeah, that that part of their game has has come together a little bit. But yeah, there's something. I it's really weird. I've been watching City this season. They don't look. There's something not quite right there. Like it, they're just not. They don't seem to have the same ruthlessness, the same energy, the same intensity about their play. They're not the same sharpness. You know that they've had. In the last few years, it doesn't look like they're able to do what they've done to teams for the last two or three years. Is that um, not just a, a bit of evolution, though? Maybe. It could be, you know, it could be that. I do think there's an element of that. Pep Guardiola's been there for this is what his fourth, fifth year, I think. Mm. Um, mm. Fifth, fifth year. Mm, fifth. And there is an element in football of, of manager that that you know that players get weary of of the same the same patterns. Like so, I mean. Yeah, I remember there's this documentary on Pep's Barcelona, and uh, Danny Alves said that uh, when he first took over, he would have done literally anything that Pep have told him to do. If he jumped, if he told him to jump off a off a roof, he'd have done it. Like you know, um, because he had so much faith in him. But by the fourth year, they kind of lost a bit of momentum, a bit of energy. They had, still had a great team, and they were still one of the best teams in Europe. But but they didn't have the same, like, energy. That some, something something had kind of broken as well. Like, it was almost that like they were the intensity of his coaching, the intensity mm. of how he wants to play. It can it can it can get to players. You yeah. know, the, the natural lifespan of managers at clubs. You know, uh, especially top clubs, it seems to be about three four. Five years, you know, and maybe he's just coming to the end of a natural cycle. It's not that Pep is not a top coach because he's an elite coach. Mm. It's just that he's been there for five years, which is longer than he's been at any other club Mm. as well. Mm. And it it could be something about that. And that's not to say they can't win the title this year because they can, Mm. because they've got a great team and they've won the the title before and that you know they know how to win.
0: Quick answers now, James. Uh, Quick answers. And this is like first one's really quick. Second one, you've got two minutes. First one is. Uh, is Man City ahead of Chelsea in the in the race for the title
1: this season? I don't. I don't think it's. I. I. Mm, I think Chelsea have closed the gap. Mm.
0: Already, that means yes.
1: Then. It. That means yes. The way the, Chelsea, the way the Chelsea are playing right now, the, the consistency and and the defending, the way, the way they prove they're defending, they're scoring more goals. They look a a unit, a proper unit. And they've got a style of play. Mm. Yeah, Chelsea have closed the gap. I'm not saying that they'll. Finish ahead of Man City, but they've definitely closed the gap on, on, on Manchester City, especially against
0: City. Yeah. And then Liverpool, you were talking about, um, you know, Guardiola maybe doing a long time at Liverpool, but yeah, Klopp's a long time at Liverpool. Is there any st- changes you've seen with Liverpool this season? I mean, they lost 7 2 to Aston Villa, and injuries are creeping up. So maybe they aren't quite the formidable force that they have been in recent years, especially with Trent Alexander arnold now injured. Fabinho's been out. Van Dyke's out for most of the season. It, they, yeah. they're, getting, they're getting curtailed.
1: Yeah, it won't be. It won't be. It will be quite a close title race this year. It won't mm. be a team that runs away with it. Liverpool can still win it. They've still got enough quality. They've still got enough character. They've obviously, Clock. What still got some great players, you know, so they could still win it, but again, won I don't think it'll be they won't win it by like 30 points or something like that like they did this no. year or 20 or 15 points. It'll be It'll go to the last few games this year, and, what, and there'll be more what, teams in it. and I think Chelsea will, will, will push them closer. I think um, Tottenham will could do as well uh, mm. you know under Mourinho. they're looking they're looking they're looking good, looking quite resilient. So I'm not saying those teams will win it. I'm just saying it'll be a lot closer this year than it was last year. And One final
0: final quick answer, super quick. Uh, Is there any team that's going to surprise uh, or break into that established top six like Leicester did last season?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. It's difficult to assess that this early in the season. Lots of
0: diversity at the top.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could argue, I mean, yeah, Southampton, Everton... And Villa have all started really well. Leicester? Uh, obviously Leicester. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of not including them because I, I already had them in that group. But yes, Leicester, obviously. Yeah, I mean, Leicester doing really well. So
0: Fantastic.
1: yeah, there's, there's definitely a chance. It's not, it's, not, it's not set in stone this, this season.
0: Unpredictability is good. <laughs> And we called it the most unpredictable season of the 21st century because of lots of exterior factors that are out of the control of the players. So it's created quite a crazy campaign and we shall look forward to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. So James has just popped out for an important call, mid-podcast, which sort of, Breaks the structure up slightly, and we're gonna we're gonna alter it round and go with the European news now. Uh, some brilliant games actually across Europe this week. As I said at the start, headlined by a brilliant uh, classic between between Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. In in years gone by, Bayern have had the all of the joy almost in in this fixture. In particular, I remember watching last year at the Allianz, and it was. Uh Himsley Flick had just taken over. Bayern were in disarray. Um and they just sacked their previous manager, uh, Niko Kovac. And again, Flick had just come into the job and they won 4-0. And it was just all everyone was talking about this mentality between someone who just consistently gets the champions uh, of the of the domestic division, someone who's consistently the second best or, or you know, not quite a champion in their own right. Obviously, finances dictate that, but it was a fantastic game. Really, really good game. Could have been five apiece, I thought. Uh, well, Dortmund went ahead with uh, through Marco Reus. Uh, four, Bayern went 3-1 ahead. Uh, Late Sané goal looked to kill them off, but then Haaland scored almost instantly after. Set up a grandstand finish. 3-2, the final score. Brilliant game of football. Uh, one of the best games I've watched this season. Uh, Lewandowski was insane. Really, really good. I mean, he had he scored three goals and two were ruled out with VAR intervention. So he only got, um, so he only got the one uh, of which it was a brilliant header, uh, brilliant header directing a floated cross in uh, when he had no right to do it. Um, And it was brilliant precision with his head. Haaland was outstanding as well, but the difference between him and Lewandowski was a clinical edge. Uh, And and, and it's, it's quite fitting that they both sort of mentioned in the same breath because Haaland's, 20 years old, has a lot of developing to do uh, and he was phenomenally difficult. He was so difficult to handle for uh, the Bayern defence. He ran rings round them uh, and he was a brilliantly taken goal. The only thing that he'll be disappointed with is he could have had a hat-trick. He could have had a hat-trick and he just fluffed his lines a few times in the crucial moments, but really, really good uh, performance on the biggest stage. And Borussia Dortmund actually, you know, their front three or front, well, they had four forward and Marco Rice in the, in the, number 10 position. Sancho, 20 years old. Reina, the American, 17 years old, and Haaland, 20. That's a ridiculously young front three uh, with Royce sort of in the middle of that. Then Bellingham coming off the bench, 17 years old. Julian Brandt, 24 years old. Uh, so, like a veteran by the, those standards. Um, you know, so much respect for a team that consistent, continues to blood through young players. It really is the European hub, I think. Uh, Borussia Dortmund, um, Ajax as well. Brilliant breeding grounds for young players to strut the stuff and show their talent, and I'd probably say they're they're slightly above Ajax because the Bundesliga is a more competitive uh, and challenging league than the Eredivisie. But you know, uh, as I say, Dortmund phenomenal uh, in the in, in the way that they give a platform to, for for young stars, and Bayern Munich also phenomenal in the way that they are they're now turned into. Serial winners again, uh, winning the Champions League for the first time in a long time, and this was, you know, in the season post Robin and Ribery last season. Uh, that's why they struggled so much under Covach at the start, and then um, and then Hansi Flick comes in, reintegrates Muller back into the outfit, and they are playing some brilliant stuff. And they are the team to beat again this season in Europe. They, like many teams in Europe, had a really tough time uh, to start the season you know shortened um shortened pre-season shortened uh period to train and, and regather the squad and they lost 4-1 to Hoffenheim so it's affected everyone really the 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 structure of this season and uh, it affected Bayern but they are now back at the top of the bundesliga uh Leipzig actually in second 1-5 draw 1 loss 1 3-0 win against freiburg what a job julian nanglesman's doing uh because they've lost Timo Werner, which means they've lost the bulk of their goals. Um and they're, you know, they're still finding a way. Uh still finding a way to 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 storm up that table. And I think it's indebted a lot to the tactics of Nangelsmann and the the system and the constant press that they that they that they employ. Um yeah, they are a they're a wonderfully progressive team and he's gonna go on to bigger things than than Leipzig. But at the moment, second in the Bundesliga, are they gonna to topple Bayern? It's hard to Hard to see them doing it i guess because they are just so ruthless uh but it'd be interesting to see anyway so it's a whistle stop tour this in many ways because there's so much to cover in so many leagues but in, in in italy it's been there's been draws all over the park it's milan to Hellas verona to uh milan indebted to a late ibrahimovic goal but the swede uh the wonderful swede missed a penalty earlier on and Verona Hellas verona were nil up uh two own goals uh actually calabria Uh, with an own goal uh, for Milan, putting them 2-0 down um, in this this fixture. But Magnani for Hellas Verona put it into his own net. It's 2-1. Ibrahim misses a penalty. Then he scores, equalises in the dying embers of the game. 2-2. Milan's still top of Serie A. Five wins, two draws, and no defeats. So survived a scare there. They're still doing really well really well and you know there's a lot of Italian journalists that are really touting them up this season uh, you know given the way that they've started and you know with Ibrahimovic up there I guess um, it is it's the experience that sort of the forward line maybe needs binding them all together they've got a winner there they've got a winner and you know under, under Stefano Poioli they have created a system that seems to be working well um and he's certainly defined the odds at this moment in time. Uh and we, we mentioned and we mentioned in the past Chiar coming in to partner the rubber really added a bit of solidity to that defense. Uh and again Ibrahimovic up front with his with his with his attacking contributions. They are doing really well. And in a season where there's so much uncertainty going on at the moment, you wouldn't put it past them, causing an upset and maybe taking the Italian league title. And that's because you know, Lazio and Juve, uh, sorry, Juventus and Inter, the two teams that have been really fighting at the top of uh, Italy for the past, well, certainly last season, and they have Antonio Conte uh, doing to the man, who is a serial winner, and Juventus have Cristiano Ronaldo, who has been one of the world's best players, uh, you know, in the past decade, but they're both struggling a bit, and I think with Juventus uh, another draw and that's four draws in the league already this season no defeats but three wins and four draws so they've lost points Well, one to lazio against lazio uh, at lazio and felipe casado casado with a 95th minute uh, equalizer quite a, quite a nice goal actually uh well worked by uh by the home side and by casado himself and you know it's a, <laughs> It's a uh, it it's, it's a dent in in Juventus' as title aspirations. And Andrea Pirlo is sort of he's trying to try to implement the system with three at the back. He's not had Ronaldo to call upon uh, in in many of the games that he's had this season due to coronavirus. Uh, but he scored early on in that game when he, on his return. Uh, you know, he's, he's certainly not got coronavirus now, and it was you know just a poachers goal and that's what Ronaldo is I think now he's more of a poacher than he was a, a one one versus one kind of wide player um, but hey the, you still want you, there's still very few players you'd have up front over Cristiano Ronaldo the, the man's athletic he's clinically in front of goal one of the best heads of the ball in the world um, and he's he's got a winning mentality and a, an a unrivaled attitude uh, to succeeding so yeah he's going to be key if Pirlo's going to do anything this season but again those and Murata, I should add, is, is, is performing quite well at Juventus. Certainly new lease of life there. But it's a little bit stagnant for Juventus. And I mean they've got they've got a squad really that expects to be winning the Italian League. And you know, PLO, it's a really big job to come into though for PLO. First job, not past his managerial badges when he got the job. There's gonna be question marks surrounding him. There's gonna be question marks and He's got the players to to um, to take the Italian league, but there's question marks. There's a few question marks at the moment, I suppose, with uh, with those results, with the, with the amount of points they've already dropped. Um, but as well with Inter as well, they are three wins, three drills and a defeat. They are also stuttering. And with Antonio Conte, there's been question question marks with his. Style of football just not being creative enough in certain games, and they did one one with Atalanta. Which I suppose Atalanta is a fairly respectable result for Conte's men, but they did lead Lautaro Martinez putting them ahead and Miranchuk equalizing in the 79th minute. So, honors, even it's it's difficult for them, I guess, because you know, they are Conte is a a manager that plays with a defense first mentality. Lukaku is his perfect centre-forward. Arturo Martinez does a really good job being the striker next to Lukaku. Um, but again, I, you do look at that squad and you see a lot of ageing players. See a lot, and Conte likes the experience, but maybe they need a bit more uh, exuberance. Maybe they need a bit more uh, creativity in midfield. Many have said Christian Eriksen should be playing. Conte doesn't seem to fancy him, but it does leave the Juventus team a little light on creativity, in quite a lot of games. Maybe that's why they struggled to get uh, more wins over the board uh, to start this season. But you know, I suppose, I suppose uh, Conte is a single-minded manager. He believes in what he does, and he will hope that the additions that he's made this summer—Vidal, Hakimi, Hakimi, wonderful player, uh, a wonderful player, a wonderful outlet as well at right wing back. Um, you know, Kolarov as well at. at Experience, more experience in the, in the heart of defense. he will hope that that experience is what was maybe lacking last season, what could push them over the line this season. But the early signs aren't amazing, it seems to suggest there's still quite a bit of work to do. Um, and that's still quite still fighting up there. Uh, still, I think, with four wins, uh, a draw now, and two defeats. Uh, I'll just double check that, but from memory, that's what I believe it was. Um, again, that 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 uh, game against Man um, uh, against Liverpool was freakish, really, just absolutely freakish. And yeah, four wins, one draw, two defeats. Um, you know, I, I bet they've never that high line was absolutely horrendous. And as as well as Liverpool played, they couldn't have wished for a better present. It was signed, sealed and delivered by the Atalanta setter, which was just suicidal, absolutely suicidal, with the, with the speed and the efficiency of Liverpool's attackers to play with a disjointed high line was ludicrous. And they just didn't turn up and it was a hor- it was horrific. But we've seen in the Champions League uh, last season, we've seen in Serie A last season, we've seen an we've seen example in Serie A this season, of a team that is still very, very good and a progressive team that constantly punches above its weight to deliver results uh, for, you know, for for the um, for their fans who, unfortunately, obviously can't see the um, can't see their team in action at the moment, as as none of us can really. And yeah, it, it, it Serie A is absolutely blown wide open. You've got Sassuolo second, Napoli in third, Roma in fourth, and Juventus in fifth, and Inter in sixth, and Atlanta. I mean, Inter in seventh and Atlanta in sixth it is absolutely crazy in Italy um, and it's it's just been um, you know the whole across Europe it's just so exciting it's just in the Premier League and James just so seamlessly fits back in now just to say how wonderful um, you know the wonderfully unpredictable uh, it has been in football in general and I was just talking in Serie A it's not been it's is been un- as unpredictable as any league. With uh, as I'll just repeat, because you've just joined, uh, return to us. Uh, I'll just you know repeat: Milan top, uh, although they had to fight from two goals down against Hellas Verona at home to draw two-two. Uh, Sassuolo second, Napoli third, Roma fourth, Juventus in fifth, Atalanta sixth, and Inter in seventh. I mean, it's crazy.
1: It is crazy, crazy yeah. We're seeing that, and then Spanish league is the same. I don't know whether you mentioned that already, but it's it's. Yeah, it's mean, there's some predict- unpredictable stuff happening this season. It's definitely a very interesting season.
0: I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned the Spanish league. 4-1 Valencia beating Real Madrid. Barcelona winning 5-2 against Real Betis the weekend. Uh, Lionel Messi coming off the bench and making a really big impact in that. But Ansu Fati's injured and he could be out for four months, which is a disaster <laughs> for Barcelona. Just not what they needed. Uh, one of the few bright sparks this season has been phenomenal. And uh, now he's going to be out for an extended period of time. Ronald Kooman must be cursing his luck, James.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean he's been fantastic. You know, and he's a he's a massive talent. And yeah, he's only going to get better. And it's it's just it's all for him, all mm. for the player. I uh, always feel sorry for the players when they get big injuries and stuff like that. Mm. And oh, but it's bad for Barcelona and it's bad for Kooman because he's you know kind of establishing himself as an important player for them. I'm- Absolutely. Just at a time when when King will probably be a bit under pressure with presidential stuff happening. So, Absolutely. yeah, it's not it's it's not ideal for anybody. That,
0: uh, no. in, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, La Liga in general. Again, we talk about the unpredictability of Serie A. Real, Chelsea at top. Villarreal second. Atletico third. Real fourth. Granada fifth. Cadiz sixth. Real Betis seventh. Barcelona eighth. Although Barcelona have two games at hand, it's crazy out there. It's absolutely crazy and it's like a lottery uh, ball. You're all going round in the wheel of fortune and you just don't know what's going to happen next. It is wild. Absolutely. It's absolutely wild. Actually, in League end, I suppose it's slightly less wild. Um, with PSG top uh, as ever, uh, this, they suffered two early defeats uh, at the start of the season, but now eight wins in a row uh, in the league. 3 um, 0 over Ren, Di Maria with two, Moise Keane on loan from Everton with a goal as well. That was without Mbappe or Neymar. Uh, Thomas Tuchel's job's actually under under threat, many people suggest. There's a bit of mutiny w- within the squad. Uh, they bought Danilo uh, from Porto to play, he believed, in central defensive midfield, but Tuchel's preferred to play him in centre back. Icardi's been cast aside, Moise Keane's play- playing over him, uh, and Icardi doesn't seem like he's going to get a look in. And there's a lot of people questioning Tuchel's tactical setups and so on. So
1: maybe... Yeah, I can see that. And, I, and again, that's, it kind of brings us back to where we started today. I heard one of the reasons that Man United are looking at Pochettino now is that they're worried that PSG will sack Tuchel at a point and will at, least, at least look at um, Yeah, I mean, the favourite for a PSG job if Tuchel left would be, has been Allegri from what I, what I've read. But mm. if that team is available, then they'll surely look at him, you know. So, yeah. Um, oh,
0: they absolutely will. They absolutely will. I think that sort of summarises the roundup. Uh, we got through. I got through a lot. Then actually, I really paced through that. Like a like like I was going to say, like one of the people on the uh, shop assistants at Lidl, the way they throw the food. <laughs> Um, So I really went through that quickly. That's a weird analogy. Anyway, um, if that was uh, enticing enough for any of you, then please do have a look at all the uh, European League tables. Uh, There's a lot of excitement to be had. Now, we'll revert back to uh, topic three, which was actually a discussion on right-backs. You know, we we talked about actually in the previous week's podcast about how the goalkeeper position has changed, but the whole of football is changing. I'm writing a piece actually for the Volvo website about the evolution of the striker, but it's the evolution actually of many positions, isn't it? And um, at the moment, and how would you sort of summarize? We haven't discussed this as much as the goalkeepers, but how's the right back position changed for you maybe over the past 10 years?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, and again, I, I this, is, this is, this is, again, something to do with Guardiola's Barcelona and how mm. that's impacted football. Uh, right back now it's not enough to be able to defend you know and uh you know you, the, the the fullbacks that are coming through now the, the fullbacks at the top teams on both sides not just at right back um they're expected to get forward they're expected to be have high energy uh you know pace they be able to defend but also to be able to get crosses in mm. and create even you know we've seen Trent Alexander Arnold is, is an example of that. You know, uh, Danny Alves was the first kind of example of that that right back that we saw. Uh, we have right backs are becoming more and more like that. Mm. Uh, you look at the, you know, the 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 young the young right backs coming through. Most of them are good at both, or mm. had the potential to be good at both, and that's where the, that's where it's going at fullback, not just right back but left back. As well. You know, again, look at the young left backs. You know, and this is why Pep Guardiola is so obsessed with buying left backs and right backs because they're absolutely key to how he plays his football. And you could see actually, after his first season, he didn't really have decent full backs. And then the second season, he bought uh, two top full backs and suddenly they looked like a different team. It changed mm. everything because, because, uh, because it improved their style of play, it fitted with how he wanted to play football. And mm. uh, yeah, the role of the fullback has definitely changed, and for the better, I think, because mm. um, it's good to have fullbacks going forward, getting involved in the game, getting crosses in, and then actually tracking back and defending well as well. Which is, you know, and you know, Trent Alexander Arnold, Trent even doing stuff creatively, moving into midfield even. So, mm. um, and so it's yeah, it's really positive, and it has changed. I
0: suppose the two mainstream examples I thought, past decade, maybe a bit before that as well, were Danny Alves and Philip Long um, as as the two mainstream. And I suppose Long was a more conventional right back from what we understood about football in terms of he was pretty, he was was competent going forward, but he was a brilliant defender. First and foremost, a brilliant defender and a leader. Whereas Danny Alves, I always thought, well, you could get at him defensively because I don't think he's as defensively astute as Alarm would be. But going forward, he was freakishly good and was so fast and he could hit shots in from all angles and hit crosses in from all angles. So he was good from the modern-day standpoint, like you just discussed. He was the modern, progressive, mainstream fullback before it became mainstream.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I, you could know, argue actually, Cole was a bit like that too. He yeah, very good
0: on the other side,
1: at, uh, getting forward. Uh, yeah, on the other side. Yeah, he was very good at getting forward and had a lot of pace. Was really good defensively, and mm. but also really good from an attacking point of view. You know, they were kind of the forerunners mm. uh, of what we're seeing now, kind of much more often because because young players are being coached in that way to develop in that way. You know, uh, it's being encouraged young players to develop that side of their game and so yeah all the young all the young fullbacks that are coming through have that to their game and they're more uh, and they can play that kind of football yeah you don't really see the as many old style fullbacks anymore yeah
0: no absolutely well I mean it's it's interesting yeah uh, so we're going to go into our top five in a second but it's like a, a disclaimer I do think that if you're classing Joshua Kimmich as a right back I'd say it's the best in the world If you're classing Kimmich as a central defensive midfielder, I'd say he's the best in the world. I think more people class him as a defensive midfielder, so just in my head, that's where I'd have him. Uh, And then the right-back, the best in the world, is a bit more up for debate. I'd probably go just based on what he's done, and this applies to this as well. Uh, I would say Alexander-Arnold, because of what he's done for Liverpool in their title-winning successes and their Champions League-winning successes, um, he has been described as Kevin De Bruyne at right back. He hits the ball with such confidence. X factor. He has the X factor, I think, at right back. Um, able to. He's a free kick specialist. Great on corners. Puts this amazing. Has this amazing technique on on his crosses. Uh, can do long passes, short passes. Basically, a winger at as a as a as a fullback, which is which is I suppose what the modern day fullback is. And yeah, I think he's such a special talent. Maybe could like Dani Alves brush up on his the, the defensive concentration within his game. But I would say on balance what he's achieved with Liverpool in such a short space of time and what he's done over the past two years. So I think it's him for me at the top. Yeah,
1: that's fair yeah I would agree with that. <laughs> also for you
0: yeah yeah. Uh, yeah, easy, okay, easy. so number two, second in the in the in our top five Premier League or in mine, would be Walker. Uh, yeah. I think it's a, it's a bit less uh, there's a lot there's a lot less x factor to Kyle Walker than there is to Alexander Arnold. Kyle Walker's technical ability is nowhere near that of Alexander Arnold, nowhere near. He's a good passer, uh, he's a good crosser. And he can hit a ball from range. scored a really good goal against Sheffield United, Kyle Walker. But he's not in the same level. I mean, it's very, very different. This is more what you'd expect, I think, Kyle Walker. It's more what you'd expect from a, from a right-back that likes to go forward uh, at a big club. You'd expect him to be good at crossing. You'd expect him to be good at passing. I think he is. But it's, you know, with Alexander-Arnold, it's beyond what you'd expect from your right-back at a big club. He, he literally is one of the leading creative forces on that Liverpool team. And Walker's not that. But Walker is, and he also, I think as Roy Keane alluded to yesterday, he's also prone to making mistakes from time to time. But I do think the athleticism and the pace and the leadership, actually, I think I would say that he has in that Man City team uh, combined, give, a, give an overall right-back package that is tough to beat across Europe. I don't think, I think Kyle Walker gets into most teams in Europe, with the exception of, I don't know, three or four, but, you know, yeah. I think he's a very underrated fullback and probably because Alexander Arnold's so sexy as a, as a right back option with his, with his style of play, I think he gets yeah. shadowed
1: a bit with that. Yeah. T- yeah. Yeah. I agree with all of that. Carl Walker is um, a top player. He's, I mean, he's, he's been Man City's right back consistently and Galeale, which should tell you everything and they've never tried to replace him uh mm. they've bought competition for him but they've never every time they've bought competition for him he beat. you know he keeps them out of the team so uh yeah absolutely and uh yeah he said yeah he's not kind of the glamorous fashionable you know kind of aesthetically pleasing whatever um guy but he's quite well, but he's a top class modern fullback yeah absolutely mm. he's good on the ball and uh, he's played centre back as well in a back three for England. Mm. Uh, yeah, so yeah, what you know doubt he's he's one of the best.
0: So who's number three for you, James? Because I'm still trying to. I'm in here. Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: my hmm. <laughs> my bias is probably going to come in here.
0: Um, no, but I'm thinking along these lines as well. To be honest, I am.
1: Um, I, don't, I, don't want, I, 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 but I, I, I'll, I'll, I will say this because I. I kind of said predicted that this guy would be really good when before he even made his yes. debut for yes. Chelsea, uh, and um, he's kind of proved me right. So mm. Reece James, um, yeah. this season in particular, uh, has been, I think, been excellent. He's improved from last season. Mm. His crossing is some of the best crossing that I've seen. It's, it's yeah, the it's travesty. He's not got more assists yet. Uh, he can take good free kicks. He's physically strong and very good defensively. He's improving defensively, positionally good, good on the ball. can also play in midfield, actually, as well, though he's never actually played there, mm. um, from the start, but he can play. They played there for Wigan, most player of the year. Um, and he's only 20 years old, so he's going to improve uh, and has a really good attitude. He's already played for England as well. Mm. And he's basically kind of taken over the first choice right back duties from. Aspeliquetta at Chelsea, which is some achievement considering Aspeliquetta has been basically the first choice for years, and you know, and has played pretty much every Premier League game for the last few years. A lot mm. of them are right back, so yeah. And I think he will get better. I think he will get better. He he will become almost a complete fullback.
0: In one of our in one of our first podcasts a long time ago, you did say, and I did, you did say. And I was skeptical, but you did say he would be better than Alexander Arnold. I do remember you think, saying that. And yeah, honestly, there is, there is, there is. We, I look at that now and it doesn't seem so crazy. It really doesn't.
1: Yeah, because I think, I think he's better defensively than Alexander Arnold, for me. And he's got the stuff going forward. He's got the crossing and the passing and the, all of that. I think he's a, he could be a more complete fullback than Alexander Arnold. I mean, Alexander Arnold is a world class player. Like let me just say that. Mm. (laughs) Um but he's very much an attacking fullback. He's not so strong defensively. Mm. Uh and he can play midfield as well. Uh and Mm. he could be he could be world class in midfield. He'd be world class wherever he played.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh I think. So in terms but in terms of that position, I think Reese James will become a more complete player because he will have he has both elements of the game. He has the attacking stuff. He has the crossing passing and everything, and he has the defensive stuff, and he has the physicality and positional awareness and everything.
0: And he only 20. At,
1: at,
0: Reese James at three. I think I've got to go reshapes James at three as well. Uh, for for similar reasons to what you said, I've been really impressed. Really impressed. And the only... It, it, it's difficult because it's, it's what you said as well. To take over from Piliquetta, I think is um, is... Is remarkable because I think Asbel Akehurst is one of the very underrated fullback options of the past. You know how long, uh, which says a lot that he might not make my top five because there is a quite a high level of of, of top level fullback options out there now, and I, and I think I'm edging him out because of the way James has come in and taken over so well. I, I agree. I think by the end of the season you could be looking at him as higher than Walker. That's that you know, or and in two yeah, years, like you I- said.
1: Yeah, he's got a higher ceiling than Walker, actually. Yeah, oh
0: he does. Years. He does. So four and five then. I'll go four then. I've I've said this before. I, I still think I'll go Pereira um Ricardo Pereira from Leicester. Brilliant signing when they got him in. And, and it wasn't long before I, mean, I think he was on, I think he was signed under Club well actually. And even when Club Puel was there, I still think he was doing quite well. Um he's excelled essentially as, as a fullback that bombs forward, has scored goals uh very quick, very skillful, um, very, very good uh consistently for Leicester. Um and then in that in that um Champions League push that they had, he was also excellent. And he was really unfortunate to have that injury when he did. And I feel like losing him was a massive blow to their hopes of getting the Champions League because he was brilliant at right back. And I I remember they was such everyone was so shocked. I think Leicester got him for think he was 17 million. And everyone was just looking at each other like, why didn't we sign this guy? This guy is amazing. He ticks all the boxes for what you want in a modern-day fullback. And I hope he comes back and delivers to the standard that he was before he got injured. And the reason why I put him behind James is because there maybe is a little bit of that question mark with a big layoff about how quickly it takes him to come back. But, you know, he was performing at levels going forward similar to what what James is now, but obviously James isn't injured and he's on the up and Ricardo Pereira has to come back.
1: That's right. I, that, I didn't include him because, um, because he's not been fit for a while. I wanted mm. to have a of players who are fit. But yeah, you're absolutely right with everything you said. He's a mm. he, he was fantastic. Um, so who's, who's your number four? Uh, well, this was, it got tough after the first three. Um, Wan-Bissaka. Yeah. Because well. uh, I think, again, he's another young fullback who is improving all the time.
0: Excels defensively, doesn't
1: he? Yes, he's, yeah, this is the thing. He's like the opposite of Trent alexander world in a way mm. because he, he is exceptional defensively, mm. good positionally, you know, wins tackles, very solid uh, and he's improving. He's got, a, you know, good attitude. He's basically established himself as the Man United right back uh, and, yeah, and he's going to get better as well. he's, I actually said that, uh, like Reece Change is basically the best of Alexander Arnold and, and Wan Bissaka hmm. in one player. <laughs> Still needs um, to get
0: there yet, though, doesn't he? I think we certainly. Well, yeah, him. I'm not
1: talking about the terms of the levels, but in terms of what he can do. Yeah, uh, Wan is, is his strength defensively, but he's young. And he's going to improve. He will improve going forward. I'm sure he will. Yeah. Um, I, mean, he,
0: I mean, for the reasons you just said, that's why he's my number five. You know, very good player. I just like. I think. I think. The other the thing that goes against him is there's an almost an awkwardness when he runs forward with the ball. it's as though to say, "Oh, what do I do now?" kind of thing, and it does look a little bit awkward at times, but yeah, what defensively, the best right back in the in the league, I think you know
1: yeah, but yeah.
0: Maybe, maybe 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 suffers due to the progressive nature of the game, like like certain other players have done, maybe suffers because 20 years ago they love him, but yeah it's, it's,
1: absolutely yeah. Oh, you're right Lovely. it's like the Nick Pope with right backs yeah
0: <laughs> exactly so what about your fifth one then James
1: are we no, going for the what we said this is yeah this is a, this is going to be a controversial one maybe I don't know uh, I've, I've been watching this guy for quite a while not just in first team football but there's team football and um, every, every time I see him he he just impresses me and uh, he's been linked with <laughs> He's been, he's been linked with um, Bayern Munich of uh, all things this season uh, so, which is a mark of his progress and people are talking about it for the England squad you know he's only been playing first team football regularly for half a season I'm talking about Tariq Glamty uh, yes at Brighton who was actually in the Chelsea Academy and the only reason he didn't get a chance is because Rhys James was coming through uh, you know I think so that a bit unfortunate for him to be honest. Because if he hadn't if there hadn't been Reese James at Chelsea, then he probably would be Chelsea's first right back right now. Yeah. Um so and he's looked superb. He's got he's very quick, um, can beat defenders, he uh yeah, he, he I mean he's he's playing as a wing back a lot of the time for for Brighton as well. He's caused all sorts of trouble to people. His crossing's pretty good, it's improving. Uh yeah, defensively, he's pretty really good. And he's got, obviously he's got a good attitude. He's quite young as well. He's going to improve. So, yeah, he's he's going to play for a top club. There's no question oh, yeah. about that. He will play for a top club.
0: He's great.
1: Um, he won't be at Brighton for very long because no. he keeps on this trajectory. He's going to be just be too good for them.
0: And he's great. Yeah, he's yeah. a great player. Uh, really good a, to watch.
1: Yeah, so he's, I mean, he will be in the top five, certainly.
0: And he's yeah, in your top five now. Forward. No, that's fantastic, uh, and it's a
1: good. Prayer would have been in. Prayer would have been in if he'd been fit. So, hmm. um, so he's probably six He's probably sixth right now. But out of the ones that are fit and that I considered, he was he was probably the fifth. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm sort of banking on that. On a quick return to form, but yeah, that sort of went into added time of the uh, of the five. But I think it was quite a good discussion. So I thought I would carry on. Um, yeah, uh, wonderful, um, wonderful discussion again. We managed to navigate. Uh, Nicely, where I did a bit of a solo run there, I sort, of, sort of went into Gary Lineker form. No, I, no, I didn't. I went into the um, the guy reads the scores out for who reads the scores out, um, out for all the leagues, but I can't remember what he's called, so we'll say Gary Lineker. Um, so yeah, for myself and James, that's it. It's a goodbye, and uh, next week it should be a look at the centre backs, which should be interesting because I'm struggling to think of five. No, yeah, I can probably think of can think of four who I put in my uh, top five centre backs, and we'll be looking at. Um, we're looking at another broad set of results and the, in the uh, action across Europe. So until then, see you next week. See you next week, everyone. Bye.